Welcome back to The Climb. This is producer Johnny filling in for Michael and Bob this week. We wanted to put together a sort of highlight episode for y'all to enjoy, and we picked some pieces of some of our favorite episodes over the course of the year that we've been doing The Climb. So on the first highlight episode of The Climb, we're going to be featuring Keaton Turner of Turner Mining Company, Michael Davidson from Gen Next, Katrina Gazarian from Game Day HR, and Luke Reed, the CEO of Quantum Valve and Oilfield Solutions. We hope you enjoy this hopefully first of several highlight episodes from The Climb. As always, please follow the show, subscribe wherever you are, leave a review, and share with a friend. Enjoy. Keaton, you know, we, Bob and I talked to a lot of, of business leaders and entrepreneurs. I mean, at, at 27, to already understand that your vision, what you're creating now, could get bigger than what maybe your skill set or just what you want to do is insane insight. So, I mean, if I'm sitting there as part of your team, I'm thinking, you know, I believe in this guy because he has the ability to look inward and say, you know, here are my strengths and I'm bringing those to the table, but there might be a certain time when somebody else needs to help me. That's, that is awesome. Well, I can tell you, you know, it, it comes, it doesn't even come from a place of humility. It comes from a place of practicality. You know, Twitter forced their CEO out, the founder, you know, he, he wasn't the right fit at, at, at a certain stage. He wasn't the right fit. And I just know that my abilities and my education and my experience only take us so far. And so if I'm the, if I'm the limiting factor on the opportunity this company has, that's a big problem, right? Like I will gladly step aside and watch someone else do what I'm not able to do. A buddy of mine, the guy, the guy I was just telling you about, the 10,000 employees, I compare myself to that guy and his abilities, it's, it's night and day, you know? And I wish, you know, maybe, maybe 10 years from now, the story's different and I can, I can feel confident that I can go do 10,000 employees. Well, I can't, I can't sit here and lie about that today. So, you know, I, I want the brand and the logo to go where it can go first. Me personally, I'm, you know, I'll be all right. I, you know, I can sell baseball cards or whatever. Um, but I, I just, I, I want to be super practical and that goes back to the getting rid of your best buddies. You know, you just, if you want to go where the company can go and I, you guys know a ton of small business owners that could take their thing and turn it into something unreal. Right. Problem is they're the, they're the limiting factor and they don't want it to go above them. They want the control. They want the ego thing. They want to be the guy. You know, I, I love that too. Don't get me wrong. I got an ego and I'd love to be the guy, but if everyone around you is looking at you like, man, you're not the guy, get out of the way. You got to get out of the way. Well, you're right. I mean, a lot of the, to their credit, right? It's their company, but a lot of the the small business owners becomes a lifestyle business, right? And it supports their lifestyle and that's good enough. Not, not really wanting to take that next step or that next risk of where they could take it if, if they did the inward looking that you do. You know, Keaton, you're running a massive mining company. I mean, some people, some people say the insurance industry is the second oldest profession, but maybe mining's the third. Like it's been around forever. 
but you're bringing this this social media YouTube channel podcast pump like can we just kind of go down that rabbit hole of you're changing an industry that's thousands of years old yeah and and honestly guys to me it's not even the technology right like people see what we're doing on Instagram or Facebook or LinkedIn or YouTube and they're like, wow, they're using all this technology in such a cool way. All we're really doing, this, the real secret behind it is we're just exposing the people that have been doing this work for thousands of years, right? Like if people, if people in the 80s had TV shows about minors, it would have been awesome content, right? And, and I think one of the reasons why we've had early success is we're just peeling the curtain back and we're showing everyone this is what happens in mining. You get kicked in the balls. You have massive wins and massive losses. You know, you've got Betty and Bobby and they're fighting and things are bad and then they love each other. Like we're just telling the stories and, and, and it's, you know, it's almost like our own TV show and people resonate with it because we're real. You know, we, we have overhyped ourselves and we have sugarcoated things in the past. I hate it. I want to be real, good or bad. That's why the keeping up with Kardashians went for 20 years, right? Like you're getting a real look at what their crazy family goes through. I want the same thing for mining. You know, people are so scared to show their haul truck flipped over. Uh, we had one catch on fire and burn to the ground. That's real stuff, man. That happens. The biggest mining companies in the world have fatalities, haul truck burn on fire. They have people doing idiotic things. We're no different. We're just, we're just showing it. Now that, I mean, that's, that's just phenomenal perspective because whether it's, it's the mining industry or the energy industry, I mean, you mentioned, uh, Salesforce, you know, it just replaced Exxon on the Dow Jones, right? Like that's a absolute old economy versus new economy example right there. And then you've got like this investor sentiment around, you know, ESG and, your approach to all that is like, we're just going to showcase all of it. Like I, how did you, how'd you say, you know, the kimono's open, walk in, check it out. Yeah. Well, I'm a, uh, I'm a consumer of content. So I, I love, like I, I tell people, I'm not a mining guy. I'm not even really a business guy. I, what I do well is marketing and I, I love attention. Uh, and I don't even want to be the center of attention, but I love to think about like, where is attention going and where are people spending their time? They're not looking at, you know, Pitt and Corey magazines anymore. And I love Pitt and Corey, but kids are on Instagram, right? Like you guys, you guys are doing a podcast, you know, guys your age five years ago weren't doing podcasts, you know? And so I, I don't know. I just, I want, I want people to see mining where they consume content if we were just doing this, you know, on certain mining channels or just focused on mining people, we, we would be missing 95% of the people that consume our stuff. And so, I, you know, I, I'm a big fan of real marketing. I'm a big fan of getting people's attention. And, you, and we kind of have a little bit of a, a cheat or a hack to it because the equipment is so big and so cool. Everyone just loves it, right? Like if we were in insurance, I'm trying to think how I can make insurance sexy, you know, like there's people to do it. What we say is we want to make mining sexy again. And so that's what, you know, we're focused on that. And our, and some of our clients love it. Some of our clients hate it, right? They want to stay a secret. 
they have enough environmentalists after them that, you know, they don't want their stuff exposed. Uh, but, you know, I, we have a ton of fun lighting up what I think is one of the coolest industries on the planet, one of the oldest industries on the planet. Like it's, it should get a ton of recognition and people should know all the environmentalists that are driving their Priuses around or their Teslas that are against mining, that car, every single material in it besides the leather on the seats was, came from a mine, you know? And, and so it's just, you know, I think there's a ton of education we can do someday just to the general public, but you got to get their attention first. And that's what we're super focused on is we need to get everyone's attention uh, and we're doing pretty good at it. I think there's a ton more we can do and we're making some big changes currently with how we do it. So yeah, a lot of, a lot of fun stuff coming up. Yeah. I, I just think about like what you said about getting attention. I mean, that's how we were trying to draw into you, right? I mean, would we have come across you guys without that? Probably not. Maybe. But I got to imagine, too, it's probably drawn for you guys from an employee standpoint, a lot of diverse backgrounds, too, that makes a company different. Is that is that accurate at all? Yeah. So we've hired we've hired a person from all 50 states. We get the number changes a little bit, but it's actually going up. We just a few days ago, we were getting 26 applications a day. That number, as you get into wintertime, it goes up to closer to 50 applications a day just due to people being displaced due to seasonality type stuff. But I mean, to think about getting 20 people apply to your company a day, the, the real issue in our industry is people, right? Like most of the people we service, they can't get anyone to apply to their company. We have, we have 2,000 people backlogged that if we said you're hired tomorrow, they would be ready to work tomorrow. So 2,000 people is a lot, and I'm sure that number goes up and down as someone finds a job, whatever. But to me, how we win, get everyone's attention and get all the people. And, and you know, that's what we're focused on. And, and obviously, they got to be good people. That, you know, they got to know something or have some sort of skill or talent or, you know, passion, whatever. Uh, I always say my biggest mistakes are people mistakes, um, without a doubt. So... Uh, you know, to me, that's, that's, that's how I'm thinking about our industry over the next 20 years, the people problem becomes an even bigger problem. The average age of the miner in our industry is 52 years old. The average age of our employees is 28 years old. So we're, we're, yeah, we're setting ourselves up for the next 30 years, not, not just the next two or three years. Cause it's, there is a lot of pain. I, I, I don't think I've ever said this. There is a lot of pain in learning and a lot of expense that comes with building a company around 28-year-old people. You just, there's just a ton, you know, they don't have the experience. You know, we had a, we had a kid, super talented 20-year-old kid, rip the blade off of a dozer. You know, that's a, that's a five or $10,000 mistake. <laughs> you know, if that guy was 52 and had 30 years in the industry, he probably wouldn't have done that, you know, because he did that 20 years ago. But I don't know. For me, we're making the investment now in our workforce and in our marketing and in our, you know, brand awareness. We, you know, we want to be positioned for this people game. But one of the things you, you, you notice when you read these ancient texts is like they talked about high ideals and best self and generational progress, posterity, prosperity, uh, duty. Like these are, it just doesn't, compute as much today, this sort of like high expectations of it. You see this stuff on self-help shelves, but it's not 
it's not just suffused into who we are in the way like the Russian says to me, you walk like you're free, right? You know, it's like I might, you know, walk with a little pep in my step, but that, that's very different than I think, you know, this idea is sort of walking like you're free and, and you take that responsibility in a very sacred, very kind of cherished way. So I don't know. There's, I think there's a lot of trends, but I, you know, brand new institutions, complacency, wealth, lack of adversity, we're a victim of our own success. I mean, I think those are the types of technology expediting all that. I think those would be the basic reasons that I'd give. So see, Bob, it's an answer like that that just immediately piqued my curiosity when I first sat down with Michael yeah. and Telluride. It was like... Yeah. I'm like, this could be a six-hour podcast. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> Multi-series. I've got like nine levels I want to go down here. You know, he, oh, he he talked about you know me walking in and knowing I was from Texas with a little swagger. Like it was instantly met with his just enthusiasm and just this kind of thought process and evaluation and just finding meaning and purpose and just being a better person the next day that just, I was like, Hey, I, I need to sit down with this guy more. And so pretty quickly after introductions, you know, it was like, well, what do you do? And he started telling me about Gen Next and the three pillars. So if we can pivot a little bit, uh, Michael, just start telling us about how you got involved and your climb to CEO. Well, it's actually kind of funny when I when I I obviously have this sort of deep purpose in me, and when after I finished a lot of these political experiences, I didn't go into it, but it, I was running against a lot of really when I was involved in it. There were a lot of corrupt people on the other side. Like you thought of everything you didn't like of Republicans and politics. I, I've got to experience all of that, and I think all there was a lot of pressure to be disenchanted after those experiences. I ran this national political campaign and um, it was the candidate. Well, I say I, it was a team of people who ran, but I was the candidate. And um, it was an un- unbelievable experience, but it was just like, you know, it was some pretty sad in many ways. And I was trying to figure out, okay, I don't want politics to be my pathway to make a difference in the world. I don't know. I didn't know what that was. And so I was trying to get a job. I was thinking, well, maybe I should get away from this do good or stuff and figure out a way to make money. I'm broke. And I was. <laughs> I was trying to get a job at like McKinsey or Boss Consulting or something like that or in real estate. And so somewhere along the way, I met the founders of Gen X who were great human beings, but I met them through the course of this campaign. And, and so the more I got to learn about their vision, one thing that always struck me was like, like anything in business and life, it's like it's going to be driven by who shows up. And what I always noticed about politics is the, the people who showed up were like intense activists or socialites. And, you know, it wasn't enough of, call it normal citizens or leaders, because all the leaders, and by that, I mean, just, I don't mean political leaders, I don't mean, I don't mean ruling class or political class, I mean, like, leadership class, like, you're in leadership roles. They all thought they were too busy to pay attention to the thing that enabled them to be free. And it always bugged me to no end. And so, but I had no idea how to channel that. And so I'd make the founders of Gen X and these, these entrepreneurs that are super successful, the main founder is a guy named Paul, and he's like, uh, survived the Iranian revolution, you know, almost didn't make it out, rags the riches story. He built the St. Regis uh, Hotel in, in Orange County, California. And I remember when I met him, I was like, this is the wealthiest person I've ever met in my freaking life. And I called my mom after the, my meeting with him. I hope he doesn't mind me telling the story. 
I call my mom and I go, mom, I just met this guy who's so soulful and purposeful, cares so much about this country, but his tie is worth more than my life. It was amazing <laughs> tie. And she goes, oh, huh, I love that you know that because you worked at Men's Warehouse. And I go, I don't think he got that at Men's <laughs> I don't know where he got it, but he didn't get it at Men's Warehouse. And so um, it was just super cool. Like, you know, here he is, like very polished, very accomplished but cared deeply about the world. And when you heard his story and he's like, you survived the revolution. And I think that, you know, we can't let Americans take for granted that our differentiator is our commitment to freedom and our commitment to achieving freedom together. And leaders in society were the one in, in the U.S. are very committed to that. And I want to draw other leaders in to be very committed to that. Uh, who knows if Iran had had that, there may not have been a revolution. And the world would look very different. And you can see that, you know, there's a lot of research, there's historians, a guy named Toynbee, who had a multi-volume set of like evaluating all major civilizations throughout history. And he concluded that if leaders abdicate, the society is going to fail. And you saw this trend, and this was about um, 50, over 15 years ago. And I was very taken by this, and I was really passionate. And I was like, look, okay, let's turn this into like a business model. And so I was, I was actually, I was on my friend's wife's parents couch and i had no place to live so as i said i was super broke and i'm like well let's write this let's write this up and so we turned it into something that would that would be a community that would draw people who are wildly accomplished but who actually cared about the world beyond their own financial success and how do we create an experience that that helps them be more generational in the way they think about their own life and the society around them how they get connected to big ideas, how they connected, get connected to deep, purposeful people, and how we could create experiences that draw that out of them. And so along the way, it's now been attracting really incredible entrepreneurs, executives, thought leaders, authors, and we help expose them to, you know, I think the core values that build a free society help, help equip them to leave a better legacy, but like live it today. And then and ex- and then expose them to issues where they could they could make a difference, and that could be like on you know counterterrorism or education or or some other issue. So we started out early on, getting it you know, sort of building that out, and then now I've been at it over fifteen years, and we have a community across the country of all these really exceptional humans, and we've been able to travel around the world to be exposed to some of these big ideas. I mentioned before going to like Poland and Germany and seeing what it's like to you know have free freedom shock therapy in Poland after they were on the boot of the Soviets and the Nazis and you know how committed they could be to freedom, but what the threats are today to their own pursuit of that. Go to countries like Rwanda and you could see how otherism to you know raging severe bigotry that could lead to a million people being slaughtered in a hundred days. And then how do you rebuild a country that way? Or just to here in the United States, you're seeing a generational regress uh, in terms of opportunity, and how do we restore that dynamism that we have felt, that ambition, uh, to be exposed to those really big ideas with some of the most talented people in the country? I know it's obviously unbiased, but that gives me hope about it. And so, my starting premise with Gen X was how do you how do you harness the power of of leadership and core ideals, and then and then translate that into an awesome experience that helps make the country better over time. It was a very attractive thing to me, and and so and have, being having these founders who were all these impressive entrepreneurs that 
achieve levels of financial success that I never could even fathom. It was a pretty cool, it's a pretty cool gig. And so obviously a lot of people, a lot of young people, especially my age, they don't stay in one job for a long time. And I don't have any desire to leave. They're probably gonna have to kick me out or I'll try to secure them. <laughs> but I'm I'm this is I'm deeply committed to turning this into a lasting um, institution that could could really advance generational leadership in in our country and and play a big role in helping us make sure the 21st century is is the best century we've ever had. Yeah, I think if you go back to to the fifth grade comment, you know, I mean, one thing that I've noticed is funny people are smart. You can't be funny if you're not smart. You've got to know where the punchline comes, how to read the room, when to deliver it, when enough is enough and you need to move on. So I think you, I mean, just in looking at your approach to what you post, your conversational style, like you've been influenced by that. And so like, talk about how that whole maturation from fifth grade through struggles in high school through probably one of the hardest things, because I've done it too, starting with like five-year-old girls and trying to teach them how to play soccer all the way up to the level of them deciding <laughs> if they're going to go select or not or go play for high school or whatever. By far the hardest thing I've ever done, but probably one of the most rewarding things I've ever done. Like, how has that played into the core values of today and, and your mission and game day HR and what you're trying to do? I feel the most common core value when you, like when I'm, when I'm funny, right? People think I'm funny, but I'm actually just telling the truth in most cases, right? I'm not talking, I'm not telling jokes like, you know, two guys walk into a bar or whatever. Like that's not the fun. That's not the part of me. That's funny. I think, I think people find me funny because I just say things that as they're happening, or I, I call things out as they're happening, or I kind of turn the mirror on people. That was the whole basis of LinkedIn, right? My headline is that everybody's headline was like conscious leader and investor and advisor and Forbes and this and that and this and that. And I'm like, why do I still not know what you do? Like I'm, I'm reading it, but I still don't know what you do. What do you do? That's what LinkedIn is actually for, right? Like I had, I saw some that's like, good dude. <laughs> First of all, good people wouldn't put that. <laughs> I think for me, it was like making fun of everybody else, you know, because everybody was so busy and putting every single accolade that they've ever had. And so I thought, I was voted funniest in fifth grade. Does that, if I just want to see if that matters. So I started putting that. And then, you know, I had CEO of, of a company with employees because, you know, you see all these people kind of diluting CEO and it's like, you know, you're self-employed. There's a difference. <laughs> like CEO is like, you have employees that have, like you have to get them up in the morning to do work, you know? So it was more of just, to making fun of people and kind of putting the mirror back on them. I'm sure it made people feel uncomfortable reading it because they were probably looking at their own things and like, wow, she was making fun of me. But to me, it was just not taking myself seriously. Not like putting, I don't know, like when, when you talk to me and you have talked to me in person uh, or not in person, but on other calls, Mike, the way I like on LinkedIn is the same way I talk in person, even to like 
the slang. Like instead of this, sometimes sometimes I say this. You know, instead of that, sometimes I say that. And so like I will, I literally type the way I talk. So people have like this full experience of my voice and the way I say things in this professional post. (laughs) And so for me, it was really being myself. You know, I can tell when people are having someone else curate their content because it all sounds the same. It's like the same format. It's, you know, drop a heart if you agree. And it's like a quote card. If you work, you will get paid. And then there's like 7,000 likes. I'm like, really? That is really? not profound. <laughs> <laughs> and so for me, it was, I don't want to do that. I, I didn't, I don't, that was not who, that's not who I am. I'm not like a blanket generalist, right? I'm very specific with each person. When I have a conversation, I have a genuine curiosity. And so it was important for me in my voice that it came out that way because that's who I am as a person. Yeah. I'm laughing because I'm remembering. So I have a coach that I worked with and he's always been like, and he was actually on the podcast. He's always like, you just, you got to be who you are. And like, that was a big thing for me. So actually we have something in common. So like when I was in my mid twenties, I went through a time. So I'm 195 pounds. I was a, a hefty 256 going big through bomb. a uh, big, bomb. yeah, I was going through a pretty interesting time, but it was all around this like identity thing. And he's like, you know, I'm 36 years old and you know, I like to wear my hat backwards. I like to wear, like, I have a Carhartt hat. I like to wear all the time. And I get on these calls and he's like, you know, I don't, I'm not conscious of like, you know, I swear a lot. It's just who I am. It's like, well, you know, people feel that there's genuineness to that and just be that. And you're like, you get in with your clients. You're like, okay, I gotta, I gotta make sure I'm aware of this. And he's like, They'll love you for who you are if they really want to work with you. And that really stuck with me because I think it's really important because it helps you to love your work more too. You enjoy it more. You know, like I'm wearing like a Nike jacket. I didn't, sometimes I'll get dressed up if if I feel like it, but sometimes I won't. But this is just who I am. I'm not, I always joke around because my headshot, you know, I got like my makeup done and, you know, my hair was like all nice. And so I always feel bad when people use my headshot for promo because then they'll like come on this video and I feel like they get, they got swindled. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I don't really look like that in person. Everybody (laughs) that was just a picture. So even that makes me feel a little uncomfortable because I don't want people to think that I'm something that I'm not, you know, I don't want people. This is, that's why like Instagram is kind of hard for me. I mean, I found my way now on Instagram with like cutting up video and and it's basically these types of conversations and shorter clips. But when I was trying to do it and, you know, it's like the filtered pictures and like trying to stage my life, that just wasn't me. I hated it. I did not feel comfortable. Like it just wasn't me. And I would cringe like when I would go back and look at it and I would delete it. I would start deleting all these things off. And so it it took me some time to figure out like what I was going to post and what was going to make me comfortable. And essentially it was these types of conversations because this is when I feel most myself when we're having these like unstructured, off-the-cuff conversations. This is when you get real Katrina, you know? You have great hair, by the way. Thank you. 
<laughs> Listen, this is my COVID hair. If you look here, I got a little mullet going in the I, back I, right I, now. I like it. I'm curious. I'm probably I'm curious to it like the growth phase was probably wretched. And like so you right, got it to a point no, where it looks really I'm, good. No, I'm I'm there right now because right now if I like don't put product, I'm getting I want to get to the point where I don't have to put product. But right if I mm. hit product right now, it's out like this. You'd have your helmet no, it if looks I don't have good, product. Though. I like it. So now I'm like I'm it. gonna I want it down here. I keep on I keep on telling me a fiance. I'm like, I want to look like Bradley Cooper in that movie that he was in with uh what's her name? Lady Gaga. Oh, oh yeah, uh, Stars Born. Born. There you yeah, go. I'm like that's what I'm going for. And she's like, all right. I mean, if you oh, can make yeah, that work, that movie, <laughs> he's yeah. not a bad looking man. Not yeah, at all. I mean, you just got to lower your tenor a little bit, like your voice. Yeah, a little bit. He was like real deep in that movie. Stop <laughs> smoking a pack of cigarettes in the morning and the afternoon. Yeah, I'm gonna, yeah that'll be a good one to get started. <laughs> well, enjoy right. your hair while you have it. Because, you know, I'm keeping it around, hopefully. I was going to ask, you mentioned before we kind of jumped on. You'd love to talk about your core values, beliefs. Would love to hear about some of that and how that kind of guides you and how you maybe even how you wrote, whether it's life or even in your work too. It's very similar. You know, I think pe- the I think people think you you have this like these set of values for work and then another set for family and another set for yourself. It's all the same. It's all it all all the values are the same for me across the board. The same values for my company are the same values for me in my life and. And one of them is the first one's family. And that is also for my company. You know, if somebody has a sick family member or something with their kids, I, it's go take care of your family. Do that first. And then, you know, we can address work things. Community is a big one. We, what are we giving back to the community? What are we doing? How are we contributing? Another one is growth. Are we learning something every day? Are we pushing our boundaries to grow or are we making ourselves feel uncomfortable from time to time honesty really important that's that i think is probably the biggest one across the board and even in our branding it's telling the truth having the real conversations talking about the hard things love is really important for us uh, so when you know if we're giving opinions or if you know, we have to make decisions. It's usually what would a loving person do. It all goes hand in hand, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. And the truth, truth is love, but also how, where is this coming from? You know, are you going to say, oh, your jacket's stupid? No, because that's not really from a place of love. Now, if somebody asks you, do you like my jacket? Then you can give your opinion of, hmm, I don't know. <laughs> I wouldn't wear it. <laughs> so... So what do I have so far? I have honesty, community, growth, love, family, family, and joy. So if you're not happy, you have to do something about it. You know, if you're not finding joy in what you're doing, who you're talking to, who you are, we need to make some changes. And so I think that, uh, I think diversifying our team, I know that we would like to maybe do a little bit more real estate, maybe continue on uh what do we call it now what does rit say he says households and uh something health all right don our our vp of finance he called it something like health and households or something it's a the launch of the pure brand but uh you know stuff that stuff that's every day that affects everyone and i think that people don't realize you know especially like 
some people in my family, they think, oh, this is, you know, a fad. Well, it's not a fad. I mean, you, you like it or leave it, it's change. And the world's going there. And if you can't go there, you're going to be left behind. And so I think that's kind of our goal is to, to really look at opportunities outside of the industry, capitalize, and then maybe be a little more nimble than we are right now. So along those lines, and then Bob, jump in here. I don't want to monopolize the questions, but um, you mentioned earlier, you know, we're really good at people, right? But how do you transform, motivate, educate a workforce that has been oil-filled services? And look, there's a lot of technical expertise that goes into that, but get them behind the charge of this extreme pivot in direction and and start all rowing to the same beat again and, and heading, you know, heading towards where you're going to take this thing. Well, first is, so every product service line leader, so we've got a guy named Ben who runs our pump down division and we've got a guy named Mitchell who runs Frackstack. I'm not asking them to sell hand sanitizer. I'm ha- asking them to get even more focused on their product service line because their lifeline of Luke Reed is, you know, 80% taken now. Not not that, you know, you can't call me because we all talk every day. It's more of you guys have proven yourself. You've got wings. Jump off the cliff. You got this figured out. And enabling them to know that they are who they need to be at that time is probably the most paramount piece in the success. It's, you know, everybody, you know, you're only as good as you uh, get to call that lifeline. Well, when you realize, hey, lifeline stepped away and I need to step up, that's what they've done. I mean, Ben has grown a division of horsepower. I can honestly say we're sold out of our horsepower right now. And I mean, nobody can believe it. Nobody even understands it. We opened a shop in Pittsburgh, middle of April. Everyone's like, what are you doing? We hired 15 people and we were sold out within days. But the manager up there, uh, his name's D, he's just, he's been rock solid. And that's because they see the the D and the new guys, they see me give that free reign to Ben and you feed on it. I mean, leaders, cream rises to the top. You don't have to be a rocket scientist. You just got to give them that. And if you try to control people, it just, it just doesn't work. I mean, it's it's so counterintuitive to talk about a guy being such an expert, but me controlling him. It's like, well, if he's such an expert, then what the heck am I doing? And that's probably where, you know, the the people skill set has come from. Everybody's really leaning on each other, but we know like, hey, I don't have to ask Reed for permission. I mean, it's probably one of my first things I ask in an interview. If you're a yes, sir kind of guy, I don't need you. I, I want you to say, hey, Luke, you're wrong. I'm okay with that. I love to be challenged. I mean, Luke and I, the COO, I mean, we just get in knockdown dragouts, but we're best friends. Don and I, same thing. Um, the guys that are, we all know like, hey, that's why we're here. If we were all uh, getting along and it was perfect, hell, we'd have a big E&P company in the Northeast and we'd, you know, it'd be sunshine and uh, rainbows. It's not. Luke, how do you build, how do you build that trust that's that's clearly there between the team to be able to do that when you know to get those folks to step up and speak their mind i mean that that sounds it sounds easy but it's not right like how do you get them to say hey luke you know i firmly believe this without fearing their job 
right? How do you build that type of culture? Uh, the answer is humility. You got to be humble enough to tell them right where we are. Um, I think the worst thing about our industry is not necessarily the CEOs, but the executives mask problems. You know, hey, you know, we're everything's going great. Just get more jobs. I mean, my team will tell you, like, I'm very open. Like, hey, finances are horrible. Um, we need to figure this out. We need more work. Does anybody have a plan? And I think you've got to, you got to be, you got to be honest with them and you got to put them there and then you got to enable them to talk and you got to listen. I mean, I have to listen. And when, when a guy like Ben says, Hey, I think we need to make a pivot to the Northeast. This is the guy. I literally picked up the phone. I was like, are you out of your mind? Have you checked the news? Do you really think that we should be getting into the Northeast in the middle of COVID? And he was hundred percent right. You know, gas, like all of a sudden became this bright shining star. My phone started ringing off the hook. Everybody was like, Hey, I heard your, cause our, our black fern resources, our assets are in the Northeast and, and 90% of us, I mean, the whole executive team, we spent six plus years in the Northeast, but we never thought we'd have a service company up there. Yeah. It's just, that's great. <laughs> and that's all you, you got to listen. You got to listen to your people. No, I think, um, you know, you're hitting on some, some great themes here that I'm writing down. Like, you know, listen, I mean, you just hit on that one. I, I loved how open you were about your faith. You can't do this without humility. You can't do this without empowerment. I mean, as you, as you think back on the, the influences in your life that define you, I mean, does that, does that carry forward in how you oh, yeah. pick teams? You know, you, you mentioned, I don't want a guy that says, yes, sir. I want a guy that says you're wrong, which is awesome. A lot of leaders don't look at it that way. Like, talk to us about that. Yeah, I think, uh, especially in our industry, there is somebody at all corners trying to cheat you. There's somebody taking something under the table, some, you know, you got to buy them something to get the work. I mean, it's it's just absurd. but that's one thing like our team is known from day one. You do it once. Luke is a one and done guy because that, that's a slippery slope that never ends. I mean, am I expecting to see you here in this podcast? So if I do another one, am I going to get a pair of boots? And the next time I'm going to get a shotgun. I mean, I'm going to wear you guys out. I'm going to try to be on the phone <laughs> on the podcast once a month. So it's, it's just, it's, it's, you gotta, you gotta go after guys that say above everything, I'm going to do the ethical thing. And if I can't do that, Hey, it's not worth doing. Even if it leads you down a slope that says, hey, man, we're out of money. We've got to, you know what? That's where the impossible can be possible. I mean, that's where faith prevails. I mean, there's there's plenty of times that uh, on our place that we live out in uh, west of Weatherford, I'll go to the barn and I'll have my alone time from the three rugrats. And I can sit there and <laughs> say my piece. And it's it's my time to say, hey, I, I don't have this figured out. I don't know what to do. I mean, ask my wife. She's my soundboard. When I'm at my wit's end, I go to her and I'm like, hey, children need to go to bed early tonight. I literally just need to vomit and like give you everything. Tell me what I need to do. Because that's at the end of the day, like that's why those people are great. That's why the leadership's great. It's you've got to process things. And if you think that you're going to solve them all, it just you're just not going to. So I, I think that, that and like pushing people to realize that by faith, we're going to be good and everything's going to work out for those that actually like do right. It might, again, it might not be the path you think you're on, but 
let's be real. I was playing polo 10 years ago thinking, why in the world do I care about, you know, Reynolds number and getting some flow regime out of the hole. I wasn't thinking about a wellbore. I was thinking about hitting the polo ball. I mean, (laughs) you know, it's just, you got to take what God gives you and says, hey, you're either going to, you know, be upset or you're going to make lemonade. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of The Climb. If you enjoyed the episode, please consider subscribing. And if you know someone who you would think would enjoy the podcast, feel free to share this with them. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode.